Hallelujah. Mark chapter 9. And uh, this morning, um, this last week, the Lord just <clears throat> dropped this in my heart. I want, felt like I wanted to go in a different direction, but I felt this is what He really, the Spirit of God was telling me to minister this morning. And uh, so the title of this message is called Checkmate. And, uh, but in the reality, it might look like checkmate, but how many know when somebody, if you, how many have ever played chess? All right. Well, if you've ever played chess, before you get into checkmate, your opponent, if he thinks he has you and your king's in jeopardy, they say check and they tell you you're in check. And if you can't get your king out of jeopardy, if your king can't move or get out of check, then that's called checkmate. It means there's no more moves. The game's over. The king doesn't really get taken. It just means he can't move, he can't escape, and uh, the game is over. But how many know with God, it's never over? And uh, in this Exodus year, I really felt this is what the Lord has been speaking to us. Because so many times we come up against things, and it just seems like it's over. On the surface, it looks like the game is over, but it's not. Mark chapter 9, beginning verse 14. And it says, When he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them, and the scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed, and running to him, greeted him. And he asked his disciples, What are you discussing with them? Then one from the multitude answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who, is a mute, who has a mute spirit. And whenever he seizes him, I always like it interesting when, when demonic spirits are talked about in the first person. They're talked about as a person, as a spirit, as a, as a real entity. We don't give as much importance to demonic influence as we should do. There's still demonic influence in the world. I said it in first service. I just think what we've done, culture has dis dismissed that. And many times, even with children, there's demonic influence. These are kids and a lot of things happening and different things. But in our society, we've learned how to give enough narcotics to the person that we can keep them so anesthetized, even the demon can't use them. Amen. So think about that. And he says, whenever he seizes him, he throws him down, he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I, sp I saw that kid in the store the other day. <clears throat> so I spoke to his disciples that they should cast him out, but they could not. And he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has, he, has this been happening? How is that about Jesus just has casual conversations with people in the middle of a need in their life? And he says, and, and often he has thrown him, and, and the father said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. How many have ever been in a situation where it just seemed like it hopeless? And even when it comes to the Lord, we wonder, well, I don't know if God, I hope God maybe might be able to do something. So here's a father has been with his child, and since his childhood, they've been in this place of torment, of challenge, and trial, and the situation going on. And now he's heard about the Lord, and he's bringing him to his disciples, but now he's discouraged. Because, man, he thought, well, at least if I bring him to church, maybe the church might be able to help. Maybe the people who say they believe in God and are following the Lord, maybe they won't be able to do it. But now I'm discouraged because I'm bringing the people who are supposed to be his disciples, who are supposed to learn from him, are supposed to be able to be, do what he does, but they can't do anything that he does. So now I don't even know if he can do what he does. 
Amen. And that's where we end up with the Lord a lot of times. And the devil goes, you're right. This is checkmate. You're, you're in a bad position. Things aren't going well for you. Amen. And then we tend to agree, but he keeps pressing. So the Lord says this, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, You deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him, and he became as one dead. And so many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Father, this morning I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. I thank you, Lord, that it is never over. We thank you, Father, that you always know what you're going to do next. And we thank you, Lord. We choose to believe that with you all things are possible. Holy Spirit, bring your truth. Illuminate it to our hearts and to our minds this morning. Cause us to see, cause us to believe, and cause us to stand in the victory that you have already declared as ours. In Jesus' name. Everybody said. Amen. Look at the cover of your outline, if you would. And let me just say this, and, and sometimes uh, uh, in getting through this, as we go through this this morning, people say, well, why is it so important that I go to church on a regular basis? Why is it important to be there every time the doors are open? Why do I need to sit under the preaching of the Word? Why do I need to hear messages over and over? Because faith does not stack up in your life. Brother Jesse said this a couple weeks ago. It's a powerful statement. Faith does not just stack up in your life. I like, you know, I'm going to stack up some faith and then I'll be good for three or four months. And then after three, I'll go back and stack up a little bit more and then I'll kind of come in and out. So it doesn't matter. I just kind of keep, you know, I get some stacked up and that's enough. That'll work for a while. And then I'll run on that for a while. It's not a way for you can eat and run for 40 days on. Amen. Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. So if I'm not hearing, in fact, Jude that, that wrote, wrote his little epistle, that one chapter epistle, and he said in verse 20, he says, You, beloved, keep yourself in the love of God, praying in the Holy Ghost, building up your most holy faith. And so faith is something that has to be continually built up. It comes by hearing the Word. And whether you understand or not, on a daily basis, you are being flooded with words coming into your life. You hear it with the people. People on your job, you hear it with friends and families and association. You're constantly being bombarded by word, and those words are seeds, and every seed is, is designed to produce a harvest. So I'm hearing words, and they all contain a harvest, but only the word of God contains his answer. This is the only seed that contains my answer. And so I have to be hearing the word and hearing messages preached. And the word preached counteracts the, the contradiction that the devil tries to speak into your life. So it's important to hear the word. Let's go back to our outline and the game of chess. We all know about the game of chess, but my, maybe not everybody knows what it involves. And so in chess, it's a strategy game, and you have pieces there, and you're moving, and the goal is to get the king in checkmate. Because if you can get the king in checkmate, you don't have to defeat the whole army. You just got to strategize and get the king to where he no longer has an option to move or to be protected. And if you get the king, you conquer the whole game. Are you with me? And so the devil, that's always his strategy, is to let you make you think that he has your king, your God, in check. And it's a lie. Somebody ought to say amen. 
So think about it. The king is the most important piece. When he is trapped, his whole army loses. The king can move one square in any direction. The main goal of chess is to checkmate your opponent's king. The king is not actually captured and removed from the board like other pieces, but if the king is attacked or placed in check and threatened with capture, it must or he must get out of check immediately. If there's no way to get out of check, the position is a checkmate, and the side that is checkmated loses. Now hear me. There used to be a painting in the Louvre in Paris uh, uh, called Checkmate. And so this painting was, was, was there. It used to be on display for years. But then it was sold. Uh, it, it was painted by Frederick Moritz August Wright and is now a private hands after being sold at Christie's in 1999. The painting depicts two chess players. One is Satan on the left, who appears arrogantly confident, and the other player is a man who looks forlorn. If Satan wins, he gets the man's soul. Let me just say, this is so important this morning, because you need to understand, this message is about your everyday life. Every day, you are in a chess match with the devil, and his goal is to get you to believe you're in checkmate, because his goal is to conquer as many souls as possible and take as many souls to hell. The devil has one objective. Your adversary has one objective. That's to see you in hell with him for eternity. And so we're always in this game, and he is a strategist, and he knows those moves. I've played against guys in chess that are really good, and, 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 and they come out, and, and they learn how to, there's, there, there's a three-move, checkmate move. If you get somebody to move his pawn just right, and they move just right, then there, there's a three-move to checkmate the other person, and the person, like, moves twice, and then you go checkmate, and he goes, wait a minute, I just got started. I didn't even lose any pieces yet. And you're telling me the game's over yet because you exposed your king in a wrong manner and you can't move to cover him. And so game is over. Amen. And the devil always tried to tell you it's over before it's over. But let's go back to this. According to the legend, though, a chess champion visited the museum once and after studying the painted, noticed that the arrangement of the pieces were incorrect. According to him, the devil, who thought he was winning, was in fact not winning. The man who thought he was losing was winning. Because according to the pieces left on the chessboard, his king had one more move. Somebody say one more move. So the champion looks at, wait a minute, this isn't over. There's one more move. Think about it. He had one more move left, which would make him the winner of the game. And every time the devil tells you it's over, you're out, you just need to be bold enough, wait a minute, my king has one more move. Because when you say check, in the game of chess, when the person says check, you get one more move. Amen. It's not over until they say checkmate. If they just say check, you get one more move. He called the curator and they determined that the title didn't fit the scene because the forlorn looking player actually had the ability to defeat his opponent, though he obviously doesn't realize it. And while Sean was praying over the wall this morning and, and after this message preached first service, the Spirit of God, I just wrote it down in my notes. We're praying over this. People go, man, I bet my name's been up there since the first day they put that up. Up there. We've been praying over this situation. I'm believing God. I don't know if God's ever going to answer my prayer. I keep watching people going from there to there. How come mine's staying there? And you're buying in to checkmate when you need to realize your king still has one more move. It's not over. God has your answer. Somebody ought to shout amen. 
think about it. The painting is a lie. The chess mirror and the cure say, wait a minute, that painting is a lie. The devil is a liar, and he is the father of lies, and he wants you to believe a lie. You're actually positioned to win. Chess is a good representation of the game of life, for we are in a conflict with an adversary whose main goal is to take us captive and possess our soul. But even when the game looks lost, our God always has what? One more move that makes us win. Think about it. A little boy with two loaves and a few, with two fish and a few loaves of bread sees that thousands of people need food. It looks like checkmate, but it's a lie. Our king has another move left. And when it was over, they collected 12 baskets. Jesus said to his disciples, hey, look at this. Here's all these people here. We need to feed them. And they go, oh, there's no way we can do that. But it says in John chapter 6, Jesus already knew what he was going to do he knew what his next move was and he turned that situation around what about Daniel go with me if you would to Daniel chapter 3 I love it Daniel chapter 3 and as I'm getting you there here's the stories you're getting there Daniel is just walking in righteousness sometimes we think oh the attack has come against me because I have sin in my life I have this going on Daniel just refused to give in to the laws of the day we're not far from being like Daniel where people say you can't pray in public you can't do this in public I tell you what if the election would have turned out differently we'd be see a whole different uh, uh, move against our religious freedom today when you have somebody literally say running for office that, that we need to change the order of the faith of our nation. Hillary against Christianity and the things she said. How many of you know that things would be different in America today? And so, but even in that, Daniel says, I'm not going to quit praying. I'm not going to quit doing this. And he gets himself thrown in the lion's den in verse 16. The king gave the command to put Daniel in there. And though they cast Daniel cast him into the den of the lions. But the king spoke saying, Hey, Daniel, the God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Or this heathen king goes, Hey, Daniel, I sure hope your God has one more move. Amen. And so he gets there the next day and he goes, Hey, Daniel, are you all right? And Daniel says, Yes, my king had one more move. Amen. What about the woman caught in adultery? She's about to be killed by angry men with stones. It looks like checkmate for her, but it is a lie. She's caught in the act. She's brought out, and they think, man, we have it. He's going to have to agree with us. We get to stone her. But Jesus said, hey, let he that is without sin cast the first stone. And nobody could meet that requirement. And then our king has that move, and he turns to her. He forgives her and tells her to go and sin no more. What about the lame man at the pool of Bethesda? thinking he has no one to help him in but Jesus has one more move here this lame man is there the Bible says you can read it in Luke chapter 5 that he is there or John chapter 5 he's been there and he's had this infirmity for 38 years how many know that's a long time to deal with something? For 38 years, he's carried that in his life. And, and then the tradition of the day, and, and Jesus walks up to him and says, Hey, do you want to be healed? Dude, I'm at the pool. Jesus always asks like, obs- I mean, just off track, obvious questions. The guy's sitting here. Everybody there is there to get healed. And they're there because it would, the, when the angel would come down and trouble the waters, then, then the first guy in got healed. Now, let me just tell you, God can only work with your faith where you're at. If your faith is limited to stirred water, you'd be a long time getting your healing. 
But Jesus always asks, when Jesus asks you a question, it's to identify where your faith is at. He always wants to know, where, where are you at? What have you been listening to? What tradition have you brought into? How many know in the Bible, if you read it, everything Jesus did was according to Scripture. Jesus was literally the last Old Testament prophet. He fulfilled the old. He, he brought the old to an end and ushered in the new. But he was acting as an Old Testament prophet in everything he did. When the woman was bound with the issue of blood, he said, Shouldn't this woman, who is the seed of Abraham, be healed? She has a right, being the seed of Abraham, she has a right to be free, not to be bound by the devil. So he did everything according to what was already contained in the word. He didn't do anything outside of that. When he healed the leper, he said, go show yourself to the priest according to the law of Moses. They didn't have to be lepers. They could have been cleansed, but they weren't operating by the word. Are you listening to me this morning? That happens in our churches today. People say, have all kinds of ideas about what God would do. Probably 90% of it is based in the word of God. But it's it's amazing what happens when you get back to the Word. Amen? And so think about it. He's there. He says, do you want to be healed? He says, I have no one to help me. People knock me out of the way. Jesus says, hey, rise up, take your bed and walk. When it looks like checkmate, your king still has what? One more move. Think about it. The woman with the issue of blood has tried everything and failed to be healed. The Bible says she had that issue for 12 years. Everybody say 12 years. For 12 years she fought. And then she went to the doctor and she spent all her money on the doctor. And the Bible says she didn't get better. She got worse. And so she's going, my goodness, I, I go to church. Nobody there believes in anything. I come to the doctor. They don't have a brain to do anything. Amen. Medicine is great. Use medicine. But remember, every time you go to the doctor, you know what you say? The first thing I tell you, well, we, we think and we will try this. They don't say we know and we're going to do this and you'll be better. All right, don't shout me down when I'm preaching real good. And then when you go back, hey, I tried that. It didn't work. Okay, well, then let's try Option number two, next thing you know, you're up to option 48. And this woman, after 12 years, is not getting any better. But then she heard about Jesus, and she said, wait a minute, I have one more move. Before I give up, if I can touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. This is not checkmate yet. Somebody shout amen. amen. Think about it. What about Lazarus? They told Jesus, Lazarus has died. And Jesus says, no, that isn't it. He said, he declared to Mary. They said, oh, if you'd have been here, this man who you love, he would still be alive. And Jesus says, hey, I told you before, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. Amen? And then he goes to the tomb. He says, roll away the stone. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. Because no matter what your situation is, even when it looks completely dead, your king still has one more move. Hallelujah. Think about it. What about the murderer next to Jesus on the cross? He thought it was the end, yet here he finds himself crucified next to the Savior of the world. Look at that. And understanding, having a repentant heart, he looks at there. He's not coming down. He knows this is the end for him. But he looks at Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And while the other thief on the other side is reviving, he says, why are you speaking against him? You know, some people are stupid all the way to the end. And you can't help somebody that's stuck on stupid. 
Some people just stuck there. And you can just frustrate yourself trying to get them off of it. Just leave them in stupid and move on. You missed a good place to say amen. <laughs> and so, but the other guy goes, wait a minute, this is the Savior. And he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, hey, guy, I have one more move concerning you. I have one more move. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Amen? Hallelujah. Think about that. What about Satan? On Good Friday, all the people were screaming, crucify him. They mocked him and hid him and spit on him, tortured him, nailed him to the cross. And they said he could save others, but not himself. They said, hey, if you're the son of God, come down off of here. Look at what we've done to you. You're the son of God. Look what we've been able to do to you. You saved everybody else. Save yourself. And they think, oh, we've won this great victory. And then they take him down off the cross and they prepare him for burial. Satan smiled. Everybody's thinking God is dead. But Jesus still has a move left. Come Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead. Come on, our king has another move left. They're there. They're preparing him. They're weeping. Oh, he's dead. But come on, look at this. Our God has one more move. He cannot be contained in the grave. He has one more move. Hallelujah. He is risen. Amen. He is risen. Hallelujah. Come on. If our God cannot be contained on the cross, if he can't be contained in the grave and he rises from the dead, no matter what your situation is, no matter what the devil's trying to sell you, it might be checked, but it is not checkmate because your king has one more move. Amen. Think about this. Many today think our country is a mess, and I agree. We're, we're in a bit of a mess. We're in a bit of a mess. I feel sorry for President Trump. I mean, it's a mess. Not only do you have a mess to clean up, you've got stupid people working against you. Exactly. Amen. People say, we're not going to help make anything. We're going to try and make sure it stays bad so we can blame it all on you. And then we can get reelected and make it even worse than it is now. I'm telling you, some people are just stuck on stupid. Amen. Now watch it. We need help. Look at it. Riots, protests, chaos, murders, and violence seem to be breaking out everywhere. People lose their job. Marriages get destroyed. Moral values are in the tank or non-existent. You can get scared and feel lost. If you're looking for direction, but you end up in the wrong path, it looks like checkmate. But it's a lie. Don't fear. The game is not over. Amen? Listen, as I did this research on this, and, and I heard about this, began to study this lesson, then I went back and, and I Googled it, and I found out back in the 50s, Billy Graham used this, this as an illustration in one of his sermons. And, uh, but I, I want to read you a part of that, uh, an excerpt, as he was preaching in England. He went to England and preached in the 50s. And uh, at that time, over 300,000 people attended his meetings there. And I said over 3,000 people came to Christ during that time there. And, and in that, he, he just talked about the, the, the world situation that day. And this is the statement that he made. This is an excerpt out of the text of his message. The United States and Canada were founded by God-fearing men. Whether their faith was Catholic or Protestant, they came to these shores believing in God. They had a Bible in their hand. They put it in the very foundation of our government, in God we trust. They believed in God Almighty. They had a strong faith in religious liberty and a strong faith in the Almighty. They believed in God and the Bible. They made the Bible the very essence, the very basis 
of our way of life and of our government and of our laws. But a few years ago, we decided that we no longer needed this faith. We no longer needed the Bible. We no longer needed God. And about the turn of the century, so he's going back to the beginning of of 1900, and he's going back and saying, we saw something happen. We began to feel, and that's when all this took place. We began to feel this to feel in the scientific, economic, and industrial advances we had made that somehow science and religion could not be brought together and that religion was something belonging to the archaic past. That is, it was a group of myths, something to be done away with, and we almost agreed with Lenin when he said that religion is the opiate of the people. So we discarded religion, particularly in intellectual circles. We discarded the supernaturalistic concept. We said we no longer believed in God. We no longer believed in the Bible. So we substituted other things. We look to reason, rationalism, mind culture, science worship, Freudianism, naturalism, humanism, behaviorism, positivism, materialism, and all the other isms were substituted for religion. As a result, what happened? We developed our minds and neglected our souls. America is a country with a neglected soul. Think about it. We forgot that we are more than just bodies with animal passions, animal lust, and animal desire. If you watch our entertainment today, it is an animalistic culture of entertainment to the lowest base appetites of humanity. Think about it. Oh yes, we have bodies with eyes and ears and and a nose and hands and feet. Everyone has a body with certain appetites that need satisfying hunger, sex, thirst, and the desire to be with them with each other, the herd instinct. All of these things are passions and desires and appetites of the body. So we set about to satisfy our bodies. Our minds also have certain desires to acquire knowledge. So we set about to fill our minds with knowledge. But we neglect a third and very important part of the human anatomy, the soul. We've starved our souls spiritually and our souls began to shrivel. We forgot that we had been created in the image of God and that we had living souls and that also had appetite. These appetites could only be satisfied by a faith and communion with God. The vast problems we face today have come about because we've starved the souls of men. Men desire something more than bread to eat. And we remember the word of one long ago when Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. We need more than bread and we need more than gadgets. Listen to this, ice boxes, automobiles, and airplanes. How many know that was a while ago? Amen. Come on, you need more than the latest download. You need more than just a Snapchat on your phone. You need more than, than the newest, more gigabytes on your hard drive. You need more than faster speed, better connection. You need more than just the latest thing. You need to be feeding your soul. Somebody here might today might be saying, he said, you have prestige, you have money, you have found inward peace, but you haven't found inward peace and happiness and security in your life. Why? You have everything to make a person happy according to the textbook, but you haven't found the inward peace you're looking for. Because Augustine said this, a soul is restless until it finds its rest in God. Amen? Amen? And you can try to fill everything else for an answer in your life. Look back at your outline. 
Think about it. Our king still has one more move left when it comes to our society. You look at today. I think it's sad when we look at Michael Jackson as a young man. So strung out. The guy had more money than, than, than anything. Come on. And yeah, so twisted and so perverted in so many ways. Heath Ledger, young actor, died at, at, at the height of his success. And then he dies and deal with that. And you see so many actors. Marilyn Monroe, years ago, dying. The, the most famous woman in all of movie star history. And then she just passes away at such a young person. Commits suicide. How many people that should be have everything that the world says you need. And many times we as Christians think that that's the identification that we need. If I just had a little more of that. Come on, if you have all of God you'd have all you need somebody ought to shout amen but they miss it and so God has a move left our lives and our future are in his hand you've been brought bought with the price of his blood as we celebrate in communion Eli did a great job a very expensive price and received his amazing grace think about it uh, the other day I saw Dane and Sean posted what my grandson Chase said. Come on, 12 years old, he's got better theology than a lot of adults I know. All right, don't get mad at me, it's the truth. He had this in his notes, watch this. He said, God holds your future, so we must not be afraid of our past. Come on, it may look like checkmate in your life. You may look at the game. Come on, I, I, I saw that. I said, man, that fits perfectly into my message. You may look at that. It may look like you're in checkmate. And the devil said, hey, you got a path. Everything, mistake you've made up to now, there's no way for you to get out of this. You're, you're a hopeless situation. But don't be afraid of your past. God holds your future. Amen? I love it. He said, there's three reasons why you need God. Because you have a path, because you need a friend, and because He holds your future. There's somebody here today, and that's a word of the Lord to you. From a 12-year-old, that you need a friend in this house today. God holds your future. Yes, you have a path. Yes, you've made some mistakes. But God has a future for you. Your king has one more move. Somebody shout amen. Think about it. First Peter, as the worship team comes back, please. First Peter 2, 24 and 25. He who himself bore our sin in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Why is that verse so important? Because Jesus is the bishop, the overseer of your soul. And when the devil tries to tell you you're in checkmate, many times we get ourselves in a position because we've been making the calls on all the moves. We've been told, I'm going to move here, I'm going to do this, I'm going to move there, this is the move I'm going to make, this is the move, this is how I'm going to play my game. It's my game, I'm playing my game, this is my life, I'm making my choices. And, and, and the devil goes, yeah, play your game. Don't follow the shepherd and the bishop of your soul. Don't come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Make your own choices. You can beat me, I'm an easy win. And he sets you up, and people make up, and every move. Oh, man, that's a great move. You got me scared. I can't believe that. That was a great move. Wow, I never saw that coming. But it's a setup. But the Bible says that Jesus is the shepherd and the bishop of our soul. He gives us that oversight. And then we find out, I love it, when we get down there and we say, Lord, I made the wrong move. I'm in check. What do I do? He says, don't worry, your king has one more move. Don't worry, your king has one more move. See, the game is never over. 
Life may look like all is lost. It may look like checkmate. But God still has one more move. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says this. Put it on the screen. No temptation has overtake you except such as is common to man. Many times temptation just isn't a temptation to do bad things. Many times it's a temptation just to give up and believe the game is lost. Believe there's no hope. To believe that it is checkmate when actually as they found out, you're in position to win, not lose. But it's been a long time. It's been 12 years. It's been 38 years. You, you, you've, you've fought with that child. You've been through all those scenarios in there. And you think, oh, this has been such a long time. How long do I have to pray? How long do I have to wait? And think it's no good. I'll, I'll just accept the defeat. Many times that's a temptation that we give into. We just accept defeat when what is said, told to us is defeat, actually is one move away from turning the whole thing around and having the victory in Christ. But God is faithful. Somebody say, God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, get this, will also make the way of the escape. He will provide the next move. I love it. God is good. That you may be able to bear it. Hallelujah. Why? Because He's risen. Think about that. We're coming up on celebrating Resurrection Sunday. Amen. Anymore, I hate to call it Easter. Because it's not Easter, it's Resurrection Day. Amen. We're not pagan. We're believers. Amen. If you can find Easter in the Bible, we'll use it, Lord God. We'll, we'll say it because people are conditioned. But it, it's a celebration of the resurrection. Amen. Hallelujah. And I don't care where you look. I don't care. I've yet to find an evolutionist who can prove that rabbits lay chocolate eggs. When you can, when you can show me a real Cadbury bunny, I'll believe in Easter. Till then, I'm a resurrection man. Amen? And the resurrection declared that when it looks lost, God has one more move. Come on, I don't know about you. I was down. I was out. Nobody would have given you 10 cents for my life or thought that I had any potential at all. But my God still had one more move. And you're here today, and maybe you've been up against it. I want to tell you, your God still has one more move. Your King has one more move. Come on, give Him a praise in the house today. you could just wrap your mind around the theology of a 12 year old this morning who can say hey you might have a past but God holds your future if you can get a hold of that you can walk in the victory that God has for your life and some of you say you know what I don't want to work in children you wonder why we ask you to get involved with children let me tell you right now children are a clean slate Jesus said go on to all the world and make disciples but when it comes to discipling a child, my challenge with you is erasing the stupid that's in your head. Forget that's in the Greek, I can say that. But you've been conditioned by life. And all of your conditioning, when you hear the truth, the first thing you want to do is argue with your answer. But a young person will believe anything. And so when it comes to making disciples, that's why the Bible says the older are to teach the younger. 
and that you would give your time to invest in kids, to work with kids and, and, and teaching them how to go out and respect law enforcement and how to do other things. Man, I'm glad. Come in here as often as you can, but don't just be in here if you come in here and you don't invest. Get off your rusty dusty. Get involved in children's ministry. Become a disciple. Work in children's church. Pray over them babies in the nursery. Say, my God, this diaper smells. Help me, Jesus. Amen. Pray in the Holy Ghost over them. Get them delivered. Amen. Minister to those kids. You have time. You can speak faith into their life. You can speak faith into their life. Amen. Because I tell you what God's going to do. God's going to raise up a Joshua generation. I'm watching a lot of these millennials and the Gen Xers and all them rising up. And they're going, you know what? This country's stuck on crazy. And they're going, no, they're not buying the lie. And God's raising up young men and women. He's raising up another generation. And they're going to stand up for truth. But they need some people behind them. They need somebody to tell them, hey, young person, yes, it might look bad. But our king has one more move. Can you say amen? Come on, get involved. Be a part of that. Let me ask you today, where are you at? Would you bow your head to me? Where are you at today? Where are you? I felt this just a moment ago that 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 really chases word is a word of the Lord to somebody here today. And you're fighting with that. You have a past. You wonder, well, how how can I go all in for God? How how can I be there? My my life just, and and you're here today, you just feel like, man, my life is just in that point of checking. And it's been so long. I've tried so many times to get out of check. Seems like every move I've made gets me back in that perdition. I gain a little bit, but then I keep losing pieces and and I'm down to just a few pieces left on my side of the board and I don't know if I'm going to win this game. And and you say, well, you know what? Maybe there's just still some hope. Come on. God brought you here today because your king has one more move concerning your life. And today's your day just to surrender and come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You've been resisting. You think about it. But every time it comes down to make a move, you go back to making your own choice. God's bringing you here today because today's your day to say yes to Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. Not just as your Savior, but as your Lord, as a shepherd and the bishop of your soul. This is your day to say, Jesus, I'm going to follow your lead in my life. I'm not making those moves anymore. I'm going to allow you to be the shepherd and the bishop of my soul. I know that word is for somebody this morning. If that's you, people around you are praying right now. I want you to be bold enough to stand to your feet right now.